0: The idea of buying something for the pure joy of it really um, is something that I'm working towards to, to help me with just creating more positive uh, mindset with money because money should be and can be a source of joy and I'm it's okay for me to spend it to cultivate that feeling. Um, so something that I kind of I almost have to force myself to do is every month I will take. Um, like 20 bucks so, or or whatever amount um, and just buy myself something or take myself out to lunch um, to maybe to a restaurant that I've never tried or go eat my favorite meal while it's still hot <laughs> um, and just like relish in the fact that I earned this money to be able to enjoy it and so there are times when it's like really awkward for me to go and buy something and so like I will feel like that pang of guilt and so like it takes me a couple days to finally be like oh no 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 this is like good this is good but um it's getting much easier that was sarah lee kane
1: and you're listening to real talk radio with nicole antoinette episode 188 welcome to real talk radio nicole antoinette that's me the podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human January is our money month here at Real Talk Radio, which is our very first themed month. I'm super looking forward to sharing all three of these conversations with you this month, which each dig into the topic of money from a different and honest angle. Today, we're talking about money and well-being. But before we get to that, I want to thank the 400 plus wonderful people in our Patreon community whose contributions of $1 or more per episode are literally what make this entire show possible. It's pretty rare to have a podcast that's 100% listener funded with no ads or sponsors. And I'm really proud of our powerful little community that we've built around the shared goal of having more honest conversations out in the world. There's so much that we can do together with this podcast in 2020. So many topics I want us to dig into, stuff like family struggles and body image. I'd love to have conversations about chronic and invisible illness, conversations about pleasure, the pursuit of big goals, spirituality, ritual, magic, boundaries, sex, dating, friendship, social media, self-care, so much stuff I'd love to cover, but I need your help. If you love this show, if it makes you laugh, think, and just feel less alone, Will you join us over in our Patreon community? There are different funding tiers for you to choose from, either $1, $2, or $4 per episode, which is just $3, $6, or $12 per month. This financial support is what allows me to keep making three new episodes per month, and it pays everyone involved in creating the show. That includes me, as well as my sound engineer, Adam Day, and every single one of our guests. And higher rates are always paid to our guests of color, as well as our queer and trans guests and others with traditionally marginalized identities. There are lots of fun bonuses that you get in the community as well. Exclusive content, first access to event registration, and more. And you can find out all about that and everything else, all the details, over at patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. So one more time, that's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. I'll see you there. And now, let's dive right into today's episode. Today, you'll get to meet Sarah Lee Kane. Sarah is a finance writer and an AFC, which stands for Accredited Financial Counselor Candidate, whose work has appeared in places like Bankrate, Business Insider, and Redbook. Her work blends practical tips and mindset strategies so that those trying to change their financial life can see themselves in the starring role. She's also the host of Beyond the Dollar, a podcast where she and her guests have deep and honest conversations on how money affects our well-being. So that's what we're talking about today. Sarah and I talk about money and mental health. We explore the intersection of money and a feeling of safety. What does it take for each person to feel safe when it comes to money? Sarah shares her honest stories about that exact question. We bounce around a bunch of different topics as we talk, all through the lens of money, of course. Sarah talks about money and parenthood, establishing a more confident money mindset, how to determine what enough is for ourselves, and more. I'm really excited to be diving into more conversations around money this month, and big thanks to Sarah for kicking that off for us. So all of that starts in just a moment, and as always, you'll be able to find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode over in the show notes at realtalkradiopodcast.com. All right, we are good to go. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you, Nicole, for inviting me. I'm really excited. Yeah, me too. A new year. This will be the first episode of 2020 kicking off money month. And I'm just happy that you are here to get that conversation started. Awesome. So let's just, yeah, let's just dive right in. Let's go there. Tell me when it comes to your own money, what are some of your most important, I don't know, goals, intentions, or hopes for this new year?
0: Gosh, great question. So this year I'm actually focusing a lot more on personal goals. I've been so focused on professional goals like income goals and sort of what I want to look like in my business that I realized this year that I'm like, oh man, I I haven't been focusing a lot on personal goals. And it was I felt a little bit embarrassed around that. And so 2020 is really the year where I want more connection. Um, I'm at a place financially where I'm pretty good, where I've got sort of many things automated. I've got some systems going. My husband and I talk very openly about money, so I'm not terribly worried about the basics. But I want to carve out time where I'm not worried about the income goals or the professional achievements and make more space for the personal stuff. And and, And I'm really thankful that I have a very flexible schedule to be able to do that hmm Do you find that it's
1: difficult for you to put work down?
0: Yes. So growing up, my dad was an entrepreneur. My mom had a side hustle for as long as I can remember. So she was an accountant by day and a bookkeeper by night. And so they would just be working nonstop. I mean, obviously they take time for family vacations and weekends and holidays, but all I remember really during the weekdays was like talking about work, griping about work, <laughs> looking at uh, bookkeeping statements and things like that. And so I think the message that I really got was that there is value to be had in work and it's almost placed above other things. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like you're conscious of that now, but is that something that you've had to like unlearn? Kind of talk to me about what that's been like.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, Gosh, it it's taken me so many years to unlearn it. So, the word "lazy" has been is, is still a really heavy work word for me because that again the idea of lazy is like, you're not doing anything, you're not contributing, you're not a value to society. That's, that's kind of my interpretation of it. And so growing up, there'd be times when I don't feel like, let's say vacuuming the house, or I don't feel like doing this, or I, I wasn't one of those kids that had a part-time job in high school. And so the the word lazy kind of kept coming up over and over again. And then so I associated with like a really negative thing where, Hey, if you're not working, you're not a value Mm. right to yourself, to society, to your family. You know, whatever that is. And so when I graduated college, I remember being so desperate to look for work, and it really conflicted with my desire to travel the world. And so I remember feeling like there were lots of things where I had to compromise, like, okay, I can travel if I can find a steady job at this place, or I will take this job over another one because it offers me, let's say, a two-year contract instead of a one-year contract. And so it was a lot of, okay, I'm still doing the stuff I want, but I have to appease (laughs) whoever so I don't feel bad that I'm being lazy. And so when I first transitioned to... Um, freelance writing. So I took that full time. I took that really to heart to the point where I was working like 12 hour days. I took on all of the housework. I took on all of the the budgeting um, stuff. Like, I mean, my husband would offer to like even wash the dishes and I wouldn't let him. So it was like me constantly, like I'm raising a kid, I'm doing the housework. I'm building this freelance writing business to the point where I just, I burnt out earlier in 2019. And for a whole month, I didn't do anything. I just, I mean, I remember laying in bed. I would take my son to school. My husband would be the one cooking. And I finally, it it took, unfortunately took that long for me to be like, okay, I don't have to keep going this crazy all the time. Um, I've set myself up to the point where I can take time off. And so that's why 2020 is a big year for me to explore more of that. Because in 2019, I worked, I'd say like maybe half the out mm, okay maybe two thirds of the hours I did in 2018, and I still earn the same amount of income. So clearly, my value in terms of earning isn't necessarily tied to how long or how much I work. Is is how smart I work, and it's still something I'm working through.
1: Yeah. Oh my god, that's so real. The value attachment of like, look how productive I can be, right? Like, look at me. I'm not lazy. I mean, even that word I feel like is really problematic, and just being. Like, so I'm resonating so much with what you're saying of this sort of like need to prove yourself through doing work. Like, who you're proving yourself to, I don't even know, right? Like, sometimes it's like this these just like messages that we get. Like, the only way to be of value is
0: to do these things. No, it's true. And I had a really great conversation with my husband about this a couple months ago. And I, I was just writing down like income goals and I I remember like chasing this arbitrary number. So this year I really wanted to make $150,000 for, I I just pulled that out of thin air literally. And I was like stressing out. I wasn't hitting these goals. And my husband's like, what is it for? Like, why, why is this so important to you? And I couldn't answer him. (laughs) Like, I was like, you're right. Like we have a roof over our heads um, our our car broke down and we had to buy a brand new one. So and I we had enough money to pay for that without taking a loan. We um we moved in so we bought a house and moved into this place and the um, above ground pool literally exploded. and We had to replace that and like just all of these things. And I was like, okay, so we have enough money for the basics and then some. Why am I, why do I need to feel like I need to chase more? And so. Um, that was another epiphany too, where I was like, okay, so money is emotional. Um, and I'm assigning this number and value to it. And like, I have to find a like intrinsic reason for me to even want to go for these goals. Because if they're just arbitrary, like I'm going to I'm going to be really bitter, like towards myself. And I don't want to be like that. <laughs> yeah. That question of
1: what enough is, I think, is really interesting when it comes to money because it's like the practical side of like what is enough in terms of like actual numbers in order to like live your life. And then sort of what you're speaking to of where it bumps up against like personal feelings of worth and enoughness. And I don't even necessarily know what my question is, like in that space, but I think that what you're bringing up is really interesting. And I'd love to talk about it a little more if you have some more thoughts on the enoughness piece.
0: Yeah. And what I find really surprising, and I've had a lot of conversations with people, even on my podcast and just friends in general, um, who are very open with money is that when we sit down to calculate our enough number, uh, enough number means like you have enough to meet your basic needs. You can set some aside for savings and some for like fun things our enough number tends to be lower than what we actually think in general. And so, um, so let's go back to the $150,000, um, example. I mean, I was like calculating my expenses. Um, I was calculating some of the things that I would want to spend on like trips or presents for family and friends. And like that number wasn't even close to that. And I, so I thought, okay, so if, You know, I don't remember what that number is, but if this number is enough to live on and to live what I think is a good life, and it's not even close to this goal of one hundred fifty thousand dollars, and what is it for? And so, I think for me, even now, even as someone who's written in you know in the finance industry for a number of years and immersed in, in money stuff, like numbers are still very emotional, and so you can look at your bank statements, you can look at what you've spent. But the numbers represent so many things. Like, so for me, earning money is representative of my worth and not feeling lazy. Or for some people, maybe going into debt is, um, you know, representative of, of like maybe who they are as a person. For some people, and it, it sounds really like crazy, but it, in some ways, it's true. Like I remember when I was in credit card debt. Oh gosh, that was in my early twenties, so it wasn't a lot. It was like nine thousand dollars worth the debt, but that number was such an enormous weight on my shoulders. Because again, I grew up with like every in of my families in the finance industry. Like I knew how to do bookkeeping. I knew all the kind of logistical money stuff. And yet I still went into debt knowing that I should be spending less than I earn. And so I, I just remember like paying that off and my resistance to it and all of that. And I think um, understanding that is has just been such an eye opener for me and it 's like there are still again, like I said, there are still things that really surprise me that that come up even though I know that money is emotional. I really need to deal with that before I kind of move on to other goals or whatever it is I want to do. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. That, that idea of like, why do we do the thing, even though we know it's like either not what we should do or not in our best interests. Like that is such a complicated question, right? Especially when you said it's not for you particularly. And I think this is different than a lot of folks maybe who grew up with families that weren't as financially literate, or, you know, it sounds like you had a lot of the Tools and skills and exposure to that kind of stuff. And for you to say like, okay, well, then I'm still making these other choices. Like, what is that about? It's like, it's one of those things that I feel like money on the surface seems easy or rather like seems simple, but is not easy. And there's like always other layers to it.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, if, if you think about, uh, there are really only a couple of simple steps to to being financially savvy. Like one of them obviously is spend less than you earn, you know, set aside money for savings, um, like simple basic concepts like that. But there's so many things in our lives that affect um, our decision-making. Because at the end of the day, like money is really a series of decisions that you've made, right? That you think maybe will benefit you at the time, that you think will make you happy. And so when you make decisions, they're not always based on logic. They're 99% of them time probably based on emotion. And I know when I got into debt, all that spending really was really chasing a, a version of a relationship that I thought was the one. And when that relationship didn't happen and I got into debt, it was like, yeah, the debt sucked. $9,000 in the grand scheme of things to me wasn't huge, but it was a shame around like, uh, or it was a reminder of, like, the fact that I spent this on something that, that wasn't even good, like, made me happy. Yeah, I think that
1: shame can be a really big piece of it. I think it's, I mean, one of the reasons that money isn't talked to. I mean, it, it's, it's like, talked about a lot and not talked about at the same time, right? Oh, yeah. that That's so true. Yeah. I'm interested... I mean, there's so much about what you just said that, that we could dig into. Um, but one of the things when you were saying that the the principles themselves are, are pretty simple, right? Like spend less than you earn and put some money aside and like these type of things that if we were to take a non-emotional objective look at it, I think that most folks would agree on. And one of the things in that, that like questions that have come up a lot for me and for lots of folks that I've talked to that I, is sort of around the idea of finding the balance between saving for the future, right? whether that's retirement, whatever that looks like and spending in ways that you enjoy right now. And so I'm curious for you I mean maybe even when you think about like the next year or where you're at right now, how do you find that balance or what are the like some of the questions that you ask yourself around that because I think that that's potentially related to like maybe the enoughness number, right there's like some parallel there, but sort of that thinking and the decision around, okay you here's what I need right now, here's what's going to make me happy now, versus here's what I think is good for future
0: me? Oh, yeah, that's a really good question. So I just want to be clear that I don't have this 100% figured out. (laughs) Um, Better than it before. Um, In terms of retirement savings, so my husband and I are um, getting pretty aggressive with it. And so it's more me than him, just because... um, I didn't invest for a very long time. And so part of it is like out of fear, like, oh my gosh, I didn't invest in my 20s. I need to like catch up. And so I I understand that this is kind of like a, a fear-based decision. And so I'm just really mindful of that. And so I am trying to max out a lot of my retirement accounts um, just to kind of, I don't want to say appease the fear, but just to make myself like feel safe. And so like that has been a question that has been popping up a lot lately is like, what would make me feel safe? Mm. And for me to get to that, even to that question is really thinking about my core values. And so this is something I've done, I think, intuitively for years. Um, And when I tell this to people, they're like, what does that even mean? And so at its core, when you're spending money or when you're saving money, whatever decision you're making money is to Um, Fill some need. So it could be an emotional need. It could be something to do with your value. So let's say you really value autonomy. um, And so you're saving up money to be able to launch your business, let's say, because you want a full autonomy of your career. That's a really great... And and so maybe for you, like that is a really great way to spend your money because it's really um, satisfying that need for you to um, have autonomy. And so for me, feeling safe is really important to me because I want to know that that whatever decision I make, because I have a young son and a husband, so whatever I decision I make is not going to, uh, for lack of a better term, like screw them over. Like I want to make sure that um, all, their emotional needs are met, their financial needs are met and all of that. And we obviously still have a roof over our head. And so a lot of my conversations, again, has just been like what has what is feeling safe. And so once I get that, then I really look at the numbers. And so I'm looking at my numbers and go, okay, if, if maxing out my retirement accounts makes me feel safe, can I actually do it? Does it look realistic in terms of numbers? And so luckily for me, it was like, yes. And if it isn't, then I go, okay, what, what steps can I do to feel safe now, but still aim towards whatever it is I ultimately want. Mm -hmm. So let's say for the retirement account, I'm not able to max it out. I can only do half. Okay. You know what? To me that feels safe because it's better than nothing. Uh, Maybe some steps I can take are um, get more clients or cut back on going out all the time or something like that to move towards that feeling that I'm trying to get Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of spending for now. That is something I haven't, incredibly difficult time with I'm getting a lot better with it um it's again going back to my values and and what emotional need am I trying to fulfill by certain purchases and I think like if you think about like impulse purchases all of those things and like or things that we buy and we immediately regret is because we think in the moment it's fulfilling some need but then it's really not um and so like for example I'm like really into the scented candle thing right now and so like I love it because um, I just enjoy the smells. It helps me focus on work and it makes me more productive so that when my son does come home from preschool, I can just shut off my computer and, um, and focus on him. And so the, the emotional need that, it's, that I'm f- fulfilling by buying this simple candle is being in the present moment. Like I want to be present. I want to be productive. I want to be able to not have to work on my sons at home because then I would feel really bad about it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like. Some of the questions you're posing, especially around that idea of what does it take to make me feel safe is a wonderful reflection question that I have already written down and will be taking. So thank you very much for that. (laughs) Um, and, And I think it's like, I'm really interested in sort of the two, the two questions that you have brought up so far, this idea of like, what makes me feel safe? And then like, what is my enough number? Because I think both of those things like at the surface, maybe seem kind of like hard to pin down, like what is enough? I don't know what safety is like, it can be easy. Like my first Reaction is like shrug emoji, right? Like, I don't know. And yeah. then to have to actually be like, no, no, this is at least somewhat like a solvable equation if I'm willing to like drill down into more specifics around it. And so, I'm wondering with either of those questions, like if you can get a little bit more specific on like either additional follow up questions that you asked yourself, or let's say like for someone who's maybe newer to this and drilling into it for themselves, is there anything that was really helpful for you in the? kind of taking things from like more nebulous to more specific
0: yeah so something that helped and and um this is something i think only you can answer and i mean you as in you and the listeners um and myself is that like what is it that you want um and not like what you think you should want and so um for example like the longest time I really rejected the idea of owning a home because I was just, I've been very nomadic for most of my life and I enjoyed that. Um, But right now at at this point in my life, I'm like, no, I, I want to have a home, you know, for various reasons. And so that has to be part of my enough number or, you know, think about like, okay, what are your current expenses? And then what I like to do, something I'm experimenting with is like, what's your baseline number? What's sort of like a baseline plus like sort of fun stuff and like your dream like life number? And so you can kind of have three different versions because your version of enough can change. And so Mm -hmm. I think where people get really – caught up in in money and and this is something I know I find myself doing is that they think like once you make a decision or once you um, do something and it messes up like it messes you up for the rest of your life and that's absolutely not true so I think it's really the mindset of like okay if this is enough for me now it's I give myself permission for it to change and so I can break down some of my expenses so um, I think overall my entire family and I spend about like four thousand dollars a month and so that's our it baseline enough number and that leaves us with like emergency spending, like if we like to go on trips every once in a while. And then my like nice ideal number would be about $5,000 a month because I would love to like go on kind of more luxury vacations. And so having that extra thousand and, and to come up with that, I would just go to like travel websites and I would just kind of like daydream about the things I would love to like go see or places I want to go. And then I kind of average the prices. Mm -hmm. Um, And then once you have that number, you can kind of test it out. Like, okay, if my enough number is, okay, so for me, let's say, okay, I calculate $4,000 as this is like enough for my mortgage, my like food, all of those things. Am I actually spending that? If it's like more than that, then something's a little bit off and you have to kind of reassess. It could be that you were lowballing yourself. It could be that you're just spending in areas that maybe you don't want to spend or that isn't really helping you or filling that emotional need, and then you just kind of got to readjust. Or if it's less, okay, well like what is it, so I think it's like using the numbers to kind of like give yourself hard data on figuring out like okay why or what's going on, um you know digging to why behind the, the spending does that make sense, mhm, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, that definitely
1: makes sense. I like this idea of kind of a couple of different enough numbers, right? Or like looking at it that way. I think that sometimes, like for me personally, if I look back on like my own money story and history with, you know, spending and earning and all of that, there have definitely been times where what I actually want, like the gap between where I'm at and where I would like to be seems so large as to make me feel defeated. And I definitely know that I'm not alone, right? In feeling that way. And so sort of this like structure that you're thinking of, or like proposing, I really like, of okay, maybe like, the like dream scenario was farther away but kind of what would it look like to incrementally work towards that and i mean it's funny because i think back to when i used to run pretty seriously that was like a very common thing for races like you'd have your a goal your b goal maybe even a c goal right (laughs) and for like for the race or for the season and like to essentially like not put all the eggs in like one dreamy basket (laughs) and i think that there's something to like remembering that what works in one area of our lives like that same psychology can work with something like money even if there's like a lot of, you know, stuckness around it.
0: Yeah. And, and I want to say if, if anyone out there is in debt, like, you know, the enough number can work in terms of like debt payoff too. Like, so you can calculate, like, okay, baseline, this is my minimum payment each month for my credit cards and my personal loans or whatever. And then here's like, you know, a little step up, like, oh, I would love to be able to pay this off in two years and then your dream scenario. And we're like, I can pay it off all lump, one lump sum. So it can work for like a variety of scenarios. And I think also be okay with where you're at right now. I think that's one of the biggest takeaways that I've really learned in my own life is that I would like compare myself to other people and I would just go, oh man, like they're earning this much and I'm only making this much and I'm working more hours or, hey, look at them. um, going to the beach every weekend and here I'm stuck in my little home office or whatever it is. And I think when those feelings come up, it can manifest into spending habits. And I think for me, I know that like I get really, really spendy during certain times of the year, especially when I feel like isolated or upset. I know that I tend to like Started going on Amazon a lot more or like going to the bookstores a lot more. And it's to f- f- again fulfill some needs. So, like, let's for some people, I know they go shopping because they feel lonely and so they end up buying a bunch of clothes, right? So, great you know, going, the act of going out is going to fulfill your need of loneliness, but then now you're spending money that you may not have, or you didn't even want in the first place. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. That I've been paying attention to, to the different times, maybe in the year or in my life or, um, just like different circumstances where spending tends to fluctuate a lot. And one of the things that I've become curious about with myself, and I, I wonder what your experience has been with this is paying attention to spending fluctuations, um, as it relates to health, like particularly mental health. So I don't just necessarily mean like, you know, spending fluctuations when like doctor bills are expensive, although that can like play into it too. But I realized like, periods of time where maybe my like mental health isn't as great or if it's more of a depressive episode I'm way l- more likely let's say to like spend a lot more money like ordering food in right or like when my capacity is diminished and I have to make choices between like okay the capacity that I have can either go towards work or it can go towards cooking like how am I gonna make those choices and I actually found earlier this year as I started thinking about this more and more that I was getting really frustrated because I feel like maybe I'm just not looking in the right places but this in particular is something that I don't see talked about a lot that I think it can be really easy to put together a like, this is my like perfect money plan or this is my budget or this, you know, the kind of like ideal thing that doesn't take into account these very, very
0: human fluctuations. Oh, I love that you talked about that. Cause yes, this is one of those things I like. I I will talk for hours and hours about, so I'll, I'll use my story burnout, um, in terms of how this is like has manifested in my life. So, um, I am one to, I love to cook. And so I will pretty much cook all of the meals just because I'm like obsessed with cookware and all of those things. Um, and so as a result, we, we've we um, saved quite a bit on eating out. So we do eat out every once in a while, but not as much just because, again, I love to cook. Um, I walk my son to school. We are one car family. And so if we ever run errands, my husband and I would just coordinate schedules. And, and if we were to go out to friends, same thing. So We're very frugal in that way, but when I burn out, I did not cook like I said. My husband was one who did it, or we would just order out. So, like um, sometimes he'll come home late and he's stressed from work, and my son's you know throwing a tantrum or whatever it is, and I go, "Let's get Postmates. Let's you know go get some like Chinese takeout from down the street. Whatever it is. Like it's one of those where if you're so, if your mental bandwidth is like maxed out it's okay to spend that money like again sometimes yeah like unfortunately you don't have have the money but let's just assume that in that case you do like for us it was like yeah it, it sucked to have like i think we spent almost three times as much on food in that month but it gave me an opportunity to rest because if you you know now that i'm thinking about it like the, the um, time it takes to prepare a meal, in essence, like, okay, yeah, it takes me 30 minutes to cook dinner, but it's, like, thinking about the ingredients, thinking about what dish I want, going to the grocery store, like, those, that time adds up, right? And so, I didn't have to think about that for a whole month, like, think about how much time that freed up for me to, like, tend to my mental health, like, I was able to go to the therapist, like, you know sit in the couch and like just cry if I needed to, like that freed up all this time. I took Ubers a few times just because I would forget to tell my husband, like, oh, today I have this appointment and hey, like you have the car today. And so I would have to Uber. And so it was one of those where like, okay, my like I forgot and I don't you know, and and like it's not my husband's fault, but like I forgot to tell him. And so I ended up having to spend like 10 bucks here and there to go to Uber. Or um, I also spent a lot of money on virtual assistants during that month just because I, I still had client work that I needed to fulfill. And so whatever I made, I actually spent on virtual assistants that month. And so it sucked. Like, I mean, looking back, like I still get like feelings about it, but at the same time, I'm like, I think about all the benefits that spending that money gave to me. And now that um, you know, I'm back in a much better place. I'm cooking again. I'm enjoying it again. Um, the the budget's back down, and you know, I have a pretty detailed spreadsheet of like what we spend over the year. If I look at the averages over the year, it's worked out. So if I'm like wanting this perfect money plan, like at the end of a year, it it's worked out right but if i'm looking at it month by month or my if i'm guilting myself into thinking man like i only spent three hundred dollars on groceries and now i've spent like twelve hundred dollars like i suck it's like no like again money is meant to fulfill this need and so if money's there to give you time to go to the therapist to cry like that's what it did for me that month Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I really appreciate you sharing that. And I think it's like, I think about it too, in terms of, um, like my, productivity, let's say with like work or creative projects that, you know, I can have this ideal picture that, you know, I am able to get this much done every single work day and like every single week, every week of the whole year, like it's just not possible, right? Like sometimes I have more energy than other times. And like, yes, I have the ability of having a more flexible schedule, but even during times in my life where I was working for someone else or, you know, the hours were more set, if I'm honest, like there was a lot of phoning it in that happened during that time when it was like a time that I, you know, didn't have that much energy. And so the same, way that like i can't expect that i'm this like robot person who has the same level of let's say creative or intellectual output day to day the same is going to be true for budget stuff and it's just i've been really more interested over particularly i mean 2019 was a big year of transition for me and therefore for my financial life and just getting really curious about those ebbs and flows and like sort of really realizing that the only way that i can have um a budget that feels human to me and that I don't wind up avoiding or hating or any of those kind of things is if I'm realistic about exactly the type of stuff that we're talking about
0: yeah, and I think I, I think a lot of the message that you'll hear in sort of um, in a lot of blogs and and sort of um, books out there is that budgets can give you freedom and that's absolutely true but There's a reason there's so many different ways to do budgeting is because you got to figure out some way that works for you. And so like for me, I remember when we would do like a line item budget, which literally meant like, you know, each category I would set um, a dedicated amount each month and I cannot go over like that stuff really stressed me out because I felt like I had to like watch my own back to spend my own money, which if you think about it is a little bit crazy because it's my money and I can do whatever I want with it. But I felt like there was this like rule where I'm like, I can't spend over this amount. Um, And so what I've, what I'm doing now is I actually look at, okay, each month, this is how much I made. I've dedicated a percentage to um, the mortgage. I've dedicated a percentage to retirement savings and um, expenses and the rest of it. I can do whatever I want with it. Because I've I've set myself up well for the future and for the present in terms of like my expenses. All the rest of it can be fun money or I can do whatever I want with it. And so that has worked really well for me, but it's taken so much trial and error because I was paying attention to how I was reacting to the messages I was getting from outside and like how it was making me feel. And so if you think about like food, so food's a really popular one where if you start Googling about um groceries like there's tons and tons of content about how to save money on food and here's how you do it but there doesn't seem to be much content on like it's okay to spend a lot of money on food if you have health concerns or how do you um adjust your budget so that you can spend more on food but less on the unimportant stuff does that make sense and so mm-hmm. like people then feel that they have to spend less on this whether or not that's true
1: yeah. And being able to identify, like, do I actually care about this thing versus this thing? And there is so much, I was going to say subliminal, but I think oftentimes like quite overt shaming around like what are like, quote, good and bad ways to spend one's money.
0: Yeah. And I think that I, I do want to give a lot of these bloggers some credit twos out there. A lot of them are just genuinely wanting to help, but unfortunately the way that the message does comes across can be shaming. And so I remember um, I had to stop reading a lot of it just because that's what I, I felt. I felt bad for spending a lot on certain things and not. And at the end of the day, I'm like, okay, so this is just my reaction. I don't think this is their intention, but I need to stop consuming this content because it's just making me feel bad. Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, which is good self-awareness, right? Like some, there doesn't have to be wrong with some, like nothing has to be wrong with something in order for it to not be for you. Right. Like you can just be like, I'm not going to consume this content anymore because it's not making me feel good. It doesn't have to be like a whole production. Exactly. So I brought up um, kind of the spending and and mental health piece of it. Zooming out a little bit, when it comes to money, which obviously is a huge umbrella topic, what's something that you feel like you wish people were more open and honest about? Or what's like a sort of subtopic within money that you find yourself really interested in?
0: I'm really interested in the life aspect of it. Um, And so what I mean by that is I, I feel like when people talk about money, it's just like this like sort of contained entity. where like, it's only about the numbers. It's only about retirement and this and this and they've, and not they, but, um, I feel like a lot of people, and maybe again, it's just the message that we've been given. Who knows that money has to do with like life, right? Like what is, why are we Retiring, Like, why are we saving money towards retirement? What is an emergency fund for, right? So an emergency fund is just um, an extra uh, money that you can set aside in a separate savings account for emergencies. And so um, I tell this story quite a lot to, to illustrate this point is that we had, again, like within the span, I'd say like three weeks, we moved into the new house. Uh, our car broke down. We had to buy a new one and the above ground pool exploded. So that was like tens of thousands of dollars that we had to basically find in our budget to spend. And we have this emergency fund. And so that money was to help our lives, like to make it less stressful to be able to like have a vehicle to drive around because where I live is a very car heavy community. And so I I just want more conversations about that where it's about like your life needs or even just like the emotional things that you're going through and then figure how like money plays into it.
1: Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So you have your own
1: podcast which you mentioned. Um can you share the intention f- like the essentially like the intention that you hold in your mind when you're creating your episodes like what are you most hoping that your own listeners are going to get from each of your conversations?
0: So kind of just actually what I just talked about is more let's look at life but through the lens of money. Because I think there's a lot of shame about like I don't know how like these certain terms like investment terms or budget terms or whatever it is, or I'm just not good with money. I think a lot of people come to me and that's what they say. But I want, what I'm hoping anyways with the podcast is to highlight like real stories of people going through sort of real life situations. Um, it could be transitions like divorce or marriage. Um, I just had a gentleman on, he's 69 years old and he just tar- started talking about like his financial regrets. And so I just want to be able to like highlight those things so that people can um, just really plant the seeds for their own conversations. Cause I really truly believe that the start of any change or the desire for any change really starts with the conversation. So whether that's like with yourself, like being much more honest with yourself or going out and having conversation with someone where you feel like you can um, have that space to do it.
1: Yeah. That honesty, especially kind of the radical honesty with ourselves is something that you and I definitely have in common, right? <laughs> it's like a shared value. Um, and I actually think that that's an interesting thing potentially to talk about for you. How has that kind of radical like honesty with yourself helped when it comes to money? And like, was that uh, something that you always did or do you feel like you kind of had like a wake up call moment where you were like, Oh, I'm really not being honest with myself when it comes to like the intersections of my money and well being?
0: So I would say it had like a series of wake up calls. (laughs) Cause I think like once you, kind of come over for me anyways like once i came over like a certain hurdle in my life or challenge like something always comes up and i'm always discovering something new about myself um so one of the biggest epiphanies was actually when i got to that when i got to credit card down my 20s and so i found myself unemployed moving back to my parents home um basically the person who i thought i was gonna marry dubbed me and i was just in this terrible like situation like mentally and, and financially and i and I remember um, I read a book called The Art of Happiness by the Dalai Lama. Like it just called out to me in this bookshelf, and I just read this thing, and and it was like this epiphany, of, like oh, like I am responsible for my own happiness. Like I'm responsible. Like my actions are really what's going to propel me forward, or um, I can choose to basically feel like shit about what's happening, or I can really figure out the next step, and. Again, talking about like, again, going back, like my entire family is in the finance industry. So I knew all of the budgeting and the numbers stuff. And so that was really the time where I started discovering that money was much more emotional than I realized. Because I think I really shamed myself like, Oh my gosh, like you should have not gone into debt. You should have known this. Like, what happened? And so it took a lot of really self reflection. Um, I ended up going to South Korea for a year and it just, I gave myself that time to be like, let's figure out what the heck's going on with my life um, and earn some money while I'm at it. And that was where I learned, like, okay, like I was using money to fill this emotional void because I thought this person I was going to marry and it just didn't work out. Um, another really epiphany was, um, in terms of like quitting my full-time work to freelance. Um, And so that was a big challenge because I, I think then was, I like, I call it like the employee mindset where like you get a paycheck every two weeks and it's like, you're secure and all of that. But when you leave that world, um, freelance income can be very fickle. And so I really had to come to terms with like, it's okay that this month I'm earning $100 and the next month I'm earning $10,000 because it it will work out somehow. And so it, it took a lot of like mindset shifts and like really getting honest with myself, like why am I feeling like this or why do I think this way and allowing whatever answers to come up? Because some of the answers that I got were like things I did not want to hear, (laughs) um, to be honest, but it was like necessary for change. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. That self-inquiry process of really continuing to check in with what's true and like allowing whatever is true to be true and like to the best of my ability to not judge myself for it, which I mean, sometimes I fail at spectacularly, but is always a really worthwhile process for me. And, you know, I think, in the realm of money, I think for me, it's really easy to look back and say like, oh, I made these mistakes. And sure, maybe that's true. Like we all make mistakes and I've really been trying to come at it again, sometimes successfully, sometimes not from a place of compassion of like, you know, looking at, you know, let's say my 18 year old self who, you know, hadn't thought it was a great idea to take out, you know, so much money in student loans. Like this idea that you mostly do the best that you can with sort of the information and like the circumstances that you have at the time. And, you know, I know a lot of things now that I didn't know then and okay, right. And just like trying to sort of reshape that story for myself a little bit. And like you said, not over identifying when you say that people come to you with like, Oh, I'm just bad with money, right? Like not making these like big declarative statements, um, or like not taking on potentially past mistakes as like a current identity, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know why this, I don't know why this relates, but I remember when, um, my son was born and I was just, um, just really fumbling through motherhood the first couple years. I'm still fumbling through now, but I just remember like, I'm like, I've never held a newborn. It was like a really intense experience. And one of my friends and I were just talking and I'm like, Oh, like, I don't want to feel like I hate being a mom. And she's like, Well, you can still love your son, but not like being a mom. And that really clicked for me because it was like, okay, mom is actually just a role. Like, that's not who I am. It's just something that I'm doing, if that makes sense. Like, Mm -hmm. it's a role. Um, And so for me, like, making these declarative statements is like the same thing. Like, you are not... Your money. You're not your financial situation. You're not your debt. You are just a, that's like your role is to just make these decisions for that money, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. That's so interesting being able to separate, like, this is a thing that I do
0: or this is a thing that exists
1: from, like, this is who I am as a person.
0: And I feel like that might be helpful to some people is to, like, separate the, um, the person from the, the, from the action. Cause that from the, cause then the action is just more new. Like it becomes like more neutralized, like less emotionally charged. Like, um, you can be like, Oh, well I put down a couple hundred bucks on a pair of shoes. And instead of saying like, I really sucked because I just impulsively bought this. Right. right. So right. It, like not it's making it that. mean something. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, it's something that I know I've learned is that, um, I spend a lot of money to, avoid the bad feelings um and try to go towards the good feelings and so like it's one of those things where okay like yeah bad feelings suck we kind of want to get out of those but at the same time like they're there to help us understand what's going on in our life and that there might there needs to be maybe there needs to be some sort of change or it's just a period in your life that you have to go through like for example like um, i went through a lot of sleep deprivation early on in my son's life and it was just one of the things where like it happens because he's a newborn. And so, you know, or, hey, like I'm, I'm like sick right now and I'm in recovery. Like, okay, this is just, maybe this is a sign that I just need to like slow down and I need to be okay with that. That This is a stage where I'm at. Um, I don't need to like avoid, you know, whatever the bad feelings are coming up. Mm -hmm. I'm interested in
1: financial changes around big life transitions or, you know, Essentially like what has to be true for people in order to make certain decisions. And so two of the things that you have mentioned were um, you know, leaving a full time salaried job in order to go freelance and then also having your son. I'm interested in what some of the financial considerations were in the lead up to both of those decisions for you.
0: All right. So in terms of um my son, it was one of those things where so I was living in China at the time and so healthcare is radically different than it is here. um, Partially because my employer paid for pretty much all of it, which is great. But the the caveat was we had to prepay all of the medical procedures and then they would reimburse us. So we knew um, before I even got pregnant that um, we had to figure out how much it would cost to give for me to give birth and and all the prenatal care because we had to pay for it up front. And so we didn't have credit cards, we couldn't get loans in China. We didn't know how to do that. So we had we had to basically pay in cash. And so it was really like us, my husband and I sitting down, like, okay, like where do like which hospital do we want to go? Which doctor? Like how much is it gonna cost? And adding that all up and going, Okay, like if it's gonna cost twenty five thousand dollars for all this, like and um, you know, like when do we want like what is the kind of the time frame where I would we would like to kind of like have my son be born or like what's when do we think we want to try for this kid like so then we had to kind of like figure out like practically like okay here's the time frame this is the amount of money that we need like how can we start saving towards it um and then in terms of like af uh in terms of like post-birth care so we knew that we wanted to stay in China probably for another year after that. Um, and so we needed to hire a nanny because they don't really do daycare in China. Not that we knew of. Um, and so we needed to figure out the cost for nannies. Um, and then we also kind of like approximated costs for like, um, like diapers and all of those things. Like, and so we asked a lot of parents, like how much things would cost, like are there ways to get it cheaper? And so we had to then just like crunch some numbers and go, okay, like this is our added monthly cost that we know and then we added i think we added a few more just as like a buffer in case something happens like if i needed to like take more time off or whatever it was and so that that was i want to say quote unquote easier just because we knew like okay we kind of had a timeline of what we needed to save up and then again like the budget considerations in terms of like how much it would cost after our son um was born um in terms of the freelancing um so there's kind of two components, the emotional component and the, the, the money, like practical money's part. So the practical money part. Um, so the crazy thing about it was like, I was actually quitting my job and moving to the U S so it was like, like a pretty major transition. If you think about it, like I'm quitting nine to five to freelance and I'm moving like from China to the U S. And so we just had to we we kind of like calculated what our expenses were in China and added a couple hundred dollars a month for the U S and we were like, okay, um, what, again, like what would make me feel safe? This is like a, the emotional component coming, like what would make me feel safe if I were to like quit this job? Like we're losing one source of income for me to like actually make this leap. And so it ended up being 18 months worth of expenses. And so like worst case, my husband loses his job in the U S and we're both unemployed. We'll be fine for 18 months. And so like we arrived at the number based on the fact that it made me feel safe. And so we saved towards that. Um, Luckily, we never really dipped into it (laughs) because another thing we did, too, was we lived on one income as a practice just to see like if we really, really needed my freelancing income at the very beginning stages. So that way, if I needed to like invest some of it into business expenses or for coaching or courses or things like that, then I could feel safe um, doing that as well. Mm-hmm.
1: Ah, oh, thank you for sharing all of that. I was like, when you were explaining the process of, you know, sort of the cost calculations for having baby, being in China, paying for stuff up front, I was like, this is so wild. Like how, just how different things work in different countries.
0: Yeah. And it's funny. So if, um, it 's just again my employer, I know other employers they do have like health insurance where you have copays and all of that, so it's like more of I guess an American version of healthcare. but for like my employer, um the funny story was he was like actually too cheap to pay for health insurance, and so like it wasn 't technically legal what he did okay. <laughs> and i I can say that now like it 's been a couple of years, but it wasn 't technically legal what he did, and so like it was really interesting because um when I read the contract, it the contract um, the one line says basically the employer will pay for 100 percent of healthcare costs, and so another consideration my husband had to think about was like we need to be prepared to put up a fight for the money, because if my if our employer is not even willing to pay for health insurance, like what makes us think he's going to pay for all of my prenatal care and like birth and like all the hospital stays and everything like that, and so then um, when when we found out that I was pregnant, um, we actually went to our boss or the principal and we said like, okay, like we read through the contract. This is how much we think it costs. I'm pregnant. And like, so, so then it was like sitting down with her and like thinking about, okay, like what would make sense in this situation? And so we actually ended up coming up with like how many weeks I wanted to take off and um, how much pay I wanted. So it was like, it was like a bigger conversation. Once my husband and I had the initial one because we knew like we might have to put up a fight for the money.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I mean, and just like
1: money and healthcare could be like its own, like long multi-part conversation, right? like for <laughs> <Yes>. sure. And <laughs> it's, you know, one of the things for me working for myself and, you know, having gotten divorced this year and, um, my former spouse, you know, works a corporate job and has like access to really great health insurance. It was the best health insurance I've ever had in my life. Basically. I mean, I think, except for maybe when I was a child and through like my dad's corporate job. Right. And I, it was because I've, you know m- been sort some version of self-employed, you know, my entire adult life or, you know, piecing together things where health insurance really wasn't an option. And it was such an unbelievable luxury, which shouldn't be a luxury to have the insurance that I had. And now that I don't have that anymore and, you know, I do have insurance, but it's like mostly useless and going through for me some health challenges right now, it's a place of a lot of fear. And I know that that's something that a lot of other folks share, too, of like, you know, I need to get get treatment or I need to get care and like all of the responsibility that's placed kind of like what you said you had to research okay which hospital and how much is it going to cost and like some of that information is like not readily available right and trying to just like really price out how to care for your own like wellness and well-being can be a very stressful thing
0: oh I know and I mean I, I didn't just like I'm Canadian so like I we had um Pretty basic healthcare. So I'm not going to say like we get everything for free because that's that's absolutely not true. But um, I also didn't live in Canada to the point where I had um, where I had to get my own insurance. I was still under my parents' healthcare by the time I left, and so I don't really know that that much. But coming to the US and like hearing all this stuff about like copays and deductibles, and it was just like very very overwhelming. And so I can totally understand why some people don't want to like deal with it because it feels like it brings. Like to me, initially, remember when I remember when I was learning about it, like it brought on this like sense of like embarrassment and almost shame that I'm like, man, I I don't know this and I suck and I don't want to ask somebody for fear of them making fun of me. And I'm wondering if it's true for like a lot of other people as well. But one of the things I know that has really benefited me the most is just asking questions and like not being afraid of it and so i'm really lucky that my my health insurance i can just log on and i can i can like um go on the chat like live chat function so like if i'm too embarrassed to like call someone i can just chat because it feels a little bit more accessible to me if that makes sense
1: yeah, honestly, like I love that you just said that because I think the f- the fear of asking questions and obviously we're talking about it through the lens of, you know, health insurance or that kind of thing, but I think that that's really common. This fear especially when it comes to money of like I should know this, right? Or having the false belief that everyone else understands this thing and something's wrong with me that I don't or like am I stupid that I don't get this? Or like there can be a lot of negative self-talk around that and trying to pivot into a place of like just ask questions. Like all of the information that we want is out there and I remember for me like i said never having worked like a sort of i guess like more traditional or corporate job you know another thing that i never had was any kind of um like Employer, uh, like retirement fund type stuff, right? Like 401k, like any, I never had access to any of that. I never learned about it. I never had like an HR department to go to for that type of stuff. And so for me, once I realized that that was true and probably wasn't going to change anytime soon, I was like, okay, like this is something that I need to learn about myself. You know, what is an IRA? What are the different types? And I felt really overwhelmed and I felt like, you know, oh my gosh, like I'm never going to be able to learn this. And, you know, I had to kind of step back and be like, you're a smart woman, like the information is out there. Like these people that I have put on a pedestal that like, uh, you know, all these like rich white dudes that like seemingly know this information, but I'm like, I can learn this too. Like a Google is free and there are people to hire. And I just like really had to make this pivot into the information is out there. Like I am capable of learning it and asking questions and sometimes, and maybe this is a good reminder for me personally. So thank you that like with the health insurance stuff, like the same applies. Like I, I can learn these things. Like you just ask questions and then you get answers.
0: Yeah. And something that I've, I've learned too, is that you don't have to know everything. You just know, need to know enough for you to get what you need from it. Mm -hmm. So like for health insurance, like, um, and the reason I like had to learn all these terms partially, because I have a client that I, I read a lot of this stuff for, but most of it, I probably don't need to know right now. It's not necessary. Like as long as I fully understand what my plan is and what I might need to pay up front and what a deductible is and all those kind of like very, to me now, not for everybody, but to me, very basic health insurance terms, then I'm okay. But if something happens and then I need to learn more then I'm going to, because like, so like even with the topic of retirement, for some people, like it's this massive like thing and totally understandable because there's lots of jargon in terms that can feel really intimidating but it's like one, again, one step at a time. And also think about like, why am I, why do I feel so embarrassed to ask somebody? Is it because I feel like if I mess up, I'm going to like ruin my life forever? Or is it that I'm feeling like really shameful about the fact that someone might judge me based on what I don't know? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Following this thread a little bit of, you know, like there's no such thing as stupid money questions, right? Or uh, something like that. Um, I'm curious, kind of a then and now, if you remember, like when you first started getting more in touch with your own money, do you remember what like the main one or two questions were that you had? And then I'm interested sort of in maybe what the questions are that you have now.
0: Yeah, I I think when I first started out, it was really a lot of questions about how to spend less or like, how do I stop impulsively shopping? It was just really kind of almost on the surface questions because I felt like, oh, well, I'm a suck with money because I just go to like Target and I come out with hundreds of dollars full of stuff. Like I gotta figure out how to like stop that. Um, and so now it's, now it's really transitioned to a lot more of like, how is this gonna make me feel? Like, or what do I ultimately wanna feel or see in my life? And then really work backwards. So like, I feel like my questions have gotten more simple but complex to answer. Hmm,
1: yeah. I mean, and I guess that makes sense, right? The way like, Once you have more potentially like basic things answered, that there is like a progression or an evolution there.
0: Yeah. And I think a question that I think I still ask myself, and maybe it's in like the versions of varied over the years, is like, what's the literal next step? So whenever I find myself like super overwhelmed, and so like back when I was, you know, in credit card debt and I had no job, I was like, what? okay, I know I need money because I need to pay this. I can't live in my parents' house forever. What's a literal next step? And my literal next step was like walking 15 minutes down the road to the mall where I worked as at college and I got the job back at a restaurant that I worked at. That was my literal next step. And so maybe for me right now, let's say I want to, I don't know, find a new client. What is my little next step? Could be Okay, I need to find that person's contact information. And then I kind of then I go like small steps after that because I think I know that when I get overwhelmed, I just think of like all of the like all <laughs> the things, like all the yeah. steps and then it's like, "No, you can't do all the things until you actually do the next step." And so like what is it?
1: Yeah, it's like what we were talking about before that sometimes like the gap between where you are and where you want to be is so huge that like the overwhelm that can come from that can be enough to like feel defeated and then not do anything, which of course doesn't help you close
0: that gap. Exactly.
1: Yeah. No, I really like that. I mean, and obviously we're talking about it, you know, in the specifics of money, but I feel like that's true for anything. Like the only thing that, helps is doing the next step, right? And obviously, sometimes easier said than done, but being able to be like, okay, when you mentioned before, like retirement accounts, and all of the jargon that can go with that, you know, the next step isn't, I must understand every single thing that is there to understand about retirement, right? Like, I must be like the most financially qualified, but like, that's not the next step. Right? And that's not even <laughs> necessarily like the end step or the requirement and being able to really identify for yourself, like what is, and maybe not like the best next step. Cause I think it can be easy to get stuck in like sort of a perfectionist thing, right? Like, Oh God, I have to take the perfect next step. Otherwise, you know, insert bad thing here. It's like, what is a next step right that I could do? Yeah. That, that's like, that's a good reframe. I like that. And, you know, because I, I feel like I can get paralyzed sometimes of like, oh my gosh, like you said, like, what if I make a mistake, right? And especially when it comes to money, I feel like there really is, you mentioned, you know, feeling safe a, a couple of times, which I think is is very relatable and really relevant of like this fear of if I make a mistake with money, like then, oh my God, like I'm fucked forever. <laughs> like I think that's like a very real
0: instinct. It is. And I, um, and it was funny because I was talking to a, a financial planner about retirement and I, I initially was like, oh, people are just really intimidated with the jargon. And that's when she's like, no, retirement is seen as this milestone and we don't want to fuck it up. And I was like, oh, like to me, I was like, oh, I didn't even think of it that way. Which if you think about it, like buying a house, buying a car, like pretty major financial decisions for many, many people. And so like, you don't want to mess it up because it can have severe consequences. Right. And same thing, with retirement, because I don't know the statistics on it, but I know like Most people are really like one of their biggest fears is running out of money in retirement. And so you don't want to you don't want to get to the point where you're like 80 and you don't have any money right? So you want to make sure that you get it right now. <laughs> like, even though you're in your 20s to make sure when you're 80, you still have enough money to live on. Yeah. I mean,
1: just like, let's get very real about this and like the emotional side of this too. So one of the things that I am currently feeling really overwhelmed about, and like, I'm not saying this is like a, please fix this to me. Cause we're obviously not here to fix each other, but just as like, a, you know, a point of sharing, I remember, um, Uh, the podcast episode that I did with Kara Perez and she was, we were talking sort of about enoughness and about specific numbers and um, like retirement. And um, you know, I think, I'd have to go back and like double check, but I think she said kind of the, the number for millennials to like aim for to have in savings, right? In order to be able to retire. I think it was like one point, it was like one and a half million, right? Like it was, it was something in, Mm -hmm. it was something around that. And like that to me sounds like the most absurd monopoly money, like shit. Like I can't, like I can't even like what I'm earning and what that would have to be. Like it's like makes me almost like want to hysterically laugh and cry because I just don't see like any scenario where that's going to happen. And I have since talked to, You know, like that sparked good conversations with some of the like friends and people in my life who have lots of different careers and financial situations and we're kind of all over the place. Like a big spread is represented. And to really talk about like what is the emotional side of thinking about retirement or like you said, like being 80 years old and running out of money. And I don't know anyone in my life who doesn't feel a lot of fear around that. And that that in and of itself is like can be a paralyzing thing of, If you feel like, okay, here's what has to happen in order for me to be okay, and like there's no way to reach that, I think that can be something that really weighs heavily on people's like minds and mental health.
0: Yeah, no, and it's absolutely true. Like it's one of the things I feel like I'm gonna save enough money for retirement, but I also have that fear as well. Like, and I, and like I said earlier, like that fear is driving me to save more. And whether or not that's gonna be healthy for me in the long run, I I don't know. (laughs) But, it's it's something that I know I recognize in myself and I just have to, every time that comes up, I just have to like... Be like okay, this is this is what you're feeling, um, and just be okay with it. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's an interest of mine,
1: obviously, and even having conversations like this with you is, and I know your podcast does the same. Like creating safe spaces to even just like admit how we're feeling, right, or to like admit what's true about this type of stuff, because you know the conversation we were having before about how to balance, you know, like taking care of future you with like choices that feel aligned right now, I think comes up a lot for people in this realm of, you know, like if retirement is like main focus, like, okay, get the, what if I get the highest paying job that I possibly can, but what if I hate that? And I would rather do this other thing that earns less the idea that there's always sacrifices and trade-offs and that's, and just like, I'm
0: interested in how people make those decisions for themselves. Yeah, no, that's a really great question. I think you know, it comes down to the idea of like opportunity costs and what, um, and something that I am kind of playing around with is like, what will I regret less? Like, so if there's, if I'm faced with two decisions and they seem really, both seem really, really enticing, like, um, my, my question to myself, like, what would I regret less? Like, if I don't do this, will I regret it more or, or that? And, um, it's something I'm playing around with. Um, so something I'm kind of facing, I'm trying to do a little bit of a pivot in my freelance career. And so I'm kind of faced with like, if, will I regret it more if I give up some of this or, (laughs) um, and I don't have the answers, but that, that might be something to kind of think about.
1: Yeah. I love that. Can you, I mean, obviously you just said specifically you're thinking about that in terms of your freelance career, but can you give any other examples, uh, like a specific example of, Hey, I was faced with this
0: decision and I chose X because I felt that I would regret it less. So home ownership is a big one. Like mm-hmm. I, I felt like, again, um, part of why I did not want to buy homes. Cause I'm like, Oh, then I can no longer be nomadic. Like for some reason, I was just like so tied to the identity of being a, a world traveler that, I cannot possibly own a home. Like that means I'm going to have to be tied down and like mowing my lawn every weekend for the rest of my life. Like <laughs> that's just what I thought. Like it's similar, right? <laughs> Isn't it funny how we tell ourselves those stories that it's like, yeah, if this,
1: then this forever.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and and another story I was telling myself too, was like, I can't possibly afford this. Like it's a mortgage and I have like all of these expenses. Like that was another thing too, that I just kept telling myself. And, but I also did not enjoy renting. And so, um, part of it was the last couple of apartments we have just the property management companies were not um great and so i felt like i didn't have much control over um how i lived in the building if that makes sense unless i moved and so that's what we kept moving and i was like I, i'm like i just want somewhere where i can feel like i can stay for like the foreseeable future and so far renting doesn't look like that it is it for us anyways in this In this city. And so I was like, okay, now it's a toss up between like, do I wanna keep renting and have this like my nomadic identity intact? (laughs) Or do I wanna buy a a home and feel, I don't wanna say safe, but feel like I have a place where I don't, where I have a little bit more control? And so that question was like, what am I gonna regret more? Like, what is the worst that's gonna happen if I buy a house? I hate it, I lose some money, I go back and rent. If I go back to rent, um, am I going to regret it because now I'm potentially going to rent somewhere. The property management company also sucks and I have to deal with construction nightmare like I did for the last couple of years. Like, what am I going to regret more? And so um, we ended up buying a home because I really did not want to deal with property management companies here anymore. So. Mhm.
1: Yeah, it's the questions that you ask yourself about regret. I feel like my version of that or you know one of the kind of guiding questions that I go to a lot that helps me make decisions, especially when it comes to financial stuff is like what's the worst case scenario here, right? Or mm-hmm. like like you said, if I hate this, right? It's really easy for me to think like well if I do this thing, then that means I'm going to have to do this thing forever. It's like this weird I don't know, story or identity piece or figuring, well, if I'm a person who does this, then that's my life now. And, you know, like a a really concrete example, you know, in getting divorced and converting a small van and moving into the van, Like I was very conscious of when I did that, like, this is a stopgap thing, right? Like, it'll be fun. I'll travel around. I will have my expenses be really low. And also, I can see no scenario in which I live in a van for the rest of my life, right? Uh, My dream scenario would be having like a small home base and the flexibility to ravel and like part-time do van stuff, but it was really helpful for me to keep that in mind from the beginning of like, I am doing this as the best fit next step for now. And th- like, I'm not saying, okay, well, this is just who I am and what I'm doing forever and sort of keeping some, like you were saying before, some distance between um, like the, the choice and who you are as a person, right? Like this is something that I'm doing and it works for me right now. This isn't like who I am.
0: Yeah, no, I, I love that example.
1: And, you know, continuing to keep that in mind. And, you know, for me, it's, it's also when you were talking about the, like, uh, sort of the different uh, categories of enoughness, right? Or like, what's your dreamiest version, and then kind of working backwards from there. It's been really helpful for me to hold in my mind, like, what is the actual truth, the truth being wanting to have the financial abundance to have a home base to also be able to travel part time to do and like hold that vision and say, Okay, I'm not there right now. That's okay. And like, But where am I at and what does it look like to work towards that? But I feel like for me, it took getting honest with the fact that what I ideally want is more than I have right now and not feeling guilty about that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, And it's okay to feel like you have enough, but still want more Mm because it could if you want to think about it, maybe you want to can reframe it in terms of like it's just a different version of enough. So, um, we're again, replacing the pool. We're doing a couple more things in our yard. And, uh, you know, like I felt this kind of pang of get like, who am I to like spend all this money on a yard? Like I should be putting this towards retirement savings. Like this is a real conversation I had, but at the same time, I'm like it's okay to want my version of an enough in a, in a house can be this and it's okay. And so I just keep having to remind myself that as I want certain things, that it's okay to have enough. Um, like, I, my husband got me a nice new shiny bike for Christmas. It was one of those where I'm like, I don't need this. I have this like next little grubby old bike and I can just use that. But it's okay to like upgrade the bike because maybe I'll feel, I don't know, like happier when I'm riding it because it's pretty. I don't know, <laughs> like something like that. But it's okay. It's okay to want that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I
1: think that this comes back to sort of the, morality stories that we are told around money. And one of the big ones for me is like that you are a better person if you need less. And that I don't think that that was ever spelled out to me specifically, but that is definitely something that has been prevalent, like through my whole life of like, you know look at me i don't have that many needs right like look at me i'm really scrappy and can survive with you know not that much and and there was a real point of pride in that for me and it's an interesting thing now to have to look at how does that serve me and then how is that actually destructive and like you're speaking to that right like sure you have the bike and like that doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you if you're going to upgrade that and i think that the sort of like shame and guilt piece around this issue specifically is really relevant for lots of folks
0: I love I love that you mentioned that. It's like, "Oh, I can scrape by on less." And that's like almost like a virtue in it itself. Like that is that is really true. I'm like, "Man, yeah, I have to think about that a lot more, too." Yeah, I've been thinking about it a ton lately and looking just like tr-
1: trying to be really honest with myself and to be honest, like I don't like a lot of what has come up, which <laughs> is fine, you know. That's what honesty does sometimes, but around, you know, mm, like Ego and this kind of stuff, right? Like, where does it make my ego feel good to like be super minimalist, right? If we're gonna throw that word around, and to look at like, what do I actually want and need versus like, what does it make me feel good for people to think that I can get by on? And like, it's like a real thorny thing that I think will be um, uh, something that I dig into quite a bit um, in 2020 for myself.
0: It's almost like, now that I think of it, it's almost like a version of like money is evil, like playing out, like, you're, like a belief that you think money is evil or people think money is evil in general. I wonder if, like, I don't know if that's ever come up for you.
1: Yeah. I mean, and I, I've thought about it a lot. I mean, I feel like for me, and everyone has kind of their family of origin money stuff, right? And having to unpick how that, uh, like subconsciously transfers into our adult lives. And, you know, there was a, a point in my life where my parents had a lot of money and then didn't right? Filed for bankruptcy. And just that like, there was a significant financial change um in my family and in my life. And having to look at the stories that I internalized of like, okay, like, money can really be easily lost. And when that happens, like everything falls apart, right? And so wouldn't it be better if you just didn't need that much to begin with? And so therefore never went through that like dramatic transition. And for me, that was very much a realization of like, oh, I'm like not letting myself have more because of the fear of I will lose it. And then like the family falls apart or this is a very simplified version. I'm sure you have your own sort of like family money stories that can be kind of boiled down. But yeah, it's definitely something, um, you know, for me to look at. Cool. Um, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about on your podcast website, um, you share five philosophies that it seems like you have, like for your podcast and, you know, for how money is discussed. And one of the things that you share there is that every belief, thought and conversation we have around money can impact our relationship with it, which, you know, I, I totally agree. Like the way you talk about something and like words matter, right? For sure. And I would love if you could share maybe some of what you have done that's helped you to cultivate like a more positive, more confident money mindset
0: for yourself. Oh, wow. Um, I was like, Oh, I have to think about this. (laughs) So something that, so I think a lot of what I've been really working on is giving myself permission to buy things that are, give me a sense of joy just because it doesn't have to be a practical thing and so that has a lot to do with the guilt i feel about being selfish and this is like a very arbitrary word that i have to unpack probably for the rest of my life is like oh who am i to buy this i'm just being really selfish like it's not going to benefit everyone and so i'm not sure whether that's something i grew up with whether you know it's switched since i became a mom that i'm taking care of a young one i'm not really quite sure but um so the idea of buying something for the pure joy of it really um, is something that I'm working towards to, to help me with just creating more positive uh, mindset with money. Because money should be and can be a source of joy. And I'm it's okay for me to spend it to cultivate that feeling. Um, so something that I kind of, I almost have to force myself to do is every month I will take... Um, like 20 bucks or or whatever amount um, and just buy myself something or take myself out to lunch um, to maybe to a restaurant that I've never tried or go eat my favorite meal while it's still hot (laughs) Um, and just like relish in the fact that I earned this money to be able to enjoy it and so there are times when it's like really awkward for me to go and buy something and so like I will feel like that pang of guilt and so like it takes me a couple days to finally be like oh no 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 this is like good this is good but um it's getting much easier so I think the last thing I went to was a Korean restaurant because I'm like I'm really obsessed with this one um Korean dish so it's like a kimchi soup dish and so like for me to like sit in like for half an hour and just like enjoy this was like pure bliss it was like a ten dollar meal but it was like it was just, yeah, it just felt really good. And like, hear me even talk about it now. It's like, it's not even about the money I spent. It was the fact that I spent it on myself is, Mm -hmm. um, was really, really impactful.
1: Yeah. One of the things I love about what you're saying is that this didn't happen overnight or it wasn't like a light switch thing of like, okay, well, like now I feel really joyful and positively about spending money on myself. And the idea that it's, it sounds like it's more of a practice for you, right? That it's like, okay, I want, to change this mindset in this way. So the next step would be, you know, hey, like take 10 or 20 bucks, do something for myself and just like continuing to like show up and like practice it that the mindset change like sort of can happen through action as opposed to, you know, like this all has to happen at once or overnight.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, when you, when you want to do something or when I want to do something, I have to really like make sure it's relevant to me. Like there's an actual relevant reason that i want to do it because i i can be i can be like a real rebel in that sense like if you don't give me a clear reason for why i need to do something like even if it's like something i i um imposed on myself like i'm not gonna do it because i'm like well this is like stupid i'm not gonna do it and so um taking myself out for a meal really just in essence represents me giving time back to myself because i i in, in all honesty I give a lot of myself to my family, my friends, my work. Um and I and I in that burnout for that month was really like a wake up call to be like, Sarah, you need to give yourself time. Cuz my I remember going to the therapy session and and my therapist was like, okay, my challenge is to give yourself an hour a day to like do whatever it is you want. And I remember like freaking out. <laughs> and she was like, okay, well, what would it take for you to to get to that point? So it was like, it took like, it was like 15 minutes a day, 20 minutes. And then it, like, I worked myself up to an hour. But that month of like working myself up to an hour to give myself that time was like a real lesson in itself where I'm like, okay, I need to like, just, I need to do this for myself because if not, I'm going to go through this. I'm I might go through burnout. I might go through something worse. I might not be present for anyone. And I don't, I don't ever want to get to that point again. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Do you remember the first day where you were like, okay, I have to take 15 minutes
0: for myself. Like, how did that feel or what did you do? Do you remember? Oh my gosh. I, I I think I was laying on the couch and I was, um, I was like, I'll just go through Instagram. That's kind of nice. Like, you know, something I can do for 15 minutes and I remember looking at um there's like a pile of dirty dishes and I was like really tempted to go and wash the dishes and I fought myself and I was like okay I'll look at like cute dog pictures on Instagram like I like had to like find something to look on Instagram which usually isn't that hard for me to kind of get sucked into it but for those 15 minutes that first day was yeah I I it took me a lot of willpower not to do the dishes mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> Yeah, I really like what you're speaking to of starting with a really small version of a thing that maybe seems like too big for, you know, to tackle that if an hour seems impossible, like, okay, I'm going to, you know, make myself start with 15 minutes. Can you remember, um, sort of in, I guess, like your financial life overall or financial journey, financial history, whatever, um, other first steps for you where it was like, maybe the big thing is really overwhelming, but like you said before, kind of identifying like, what is the literal next step? Do you remember some of your like baby steps throughout the years for different things?
0: Yeah. So going back to that credit card debt, it was um, making the minimum payment. I think it was like $25 or something like that. And so that was like, okay, I can do $25 a month cuz that's that's like a dollar a day that I need to set aside or less. So I'm like that feels manageable. And then um as I as I earned more money, then I I was like, okay, I can do $30. I can do $40 and then kind of and then I eventually paid it off I think in a lump sum in less than a year. And so that's really something that I really remember was like, okay, I don't have to pay it all off now, but I can do the minimum and it sucks that I have to pay interest, but hey, This is like paying $25 is better than not paying anything at all. And in terms of retirement savings, so learning about it was really, really intimidating. And so I think I was like, I'll just focus on one type of account. Like, it doesn't matter right now if this is like the right one for me. I'm just going to focus on this type of account. Okay, I'm going to learn the name of this and I'm going to learn the maximum amount I can contribute. And then that's kind of how I end up learning about um, like 401ks and IRAs and on all of those things and then finding the type of account that I needed. Because I think as I um, would do the little next step, I felt. more confident in my ability to do more because, Oh, I've overcome this tiny little hurdle. I can surely do more now. And so, um, it's just been a really great way to like snowball, um, my action and and all of that.
1: Yeah. And like continuing to remind yourself like, oh, I used to know absolutely zero about this. Now I know these two things, like that can be empowering. Like you said, like I know what this type of account is called and I know the maximum amount that I can contribute. Cool, that's like, like very tangible knowledge that you didn't used to have. And I find for me that empowerment comes from like seeing the progress over time, right? Like here's where I was starting from and then here's where I am now. And that that like, it, snowballs in a good way, right? Like makes me feel like, okay, like I can do this. Or if my story is like, this is too complicated for me or other people understand this, but I waited too long and it's too late. Or a lot of these things I think that can come up around money and to to be able to be like, well, if I'm at least moving in that direction, then if I just keep moving in that direction, that like thought process is really helpful for me.
0: Yeah. And, and your first step could, could actually just be like admitting that you have Um, Debt, Or admitting there's some sort of challenge. Like, for me, admitting... Like, I did not open my credit card statement. And the first time I did was, like, when I realized that I had $9,000 for the credit card debt. Like, that was a slap in the face. So, if you think about it, like, that could have been my literal first step. is like, acknowledging the fact that I have money, I need to pay back. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I mean, I feel like the truth is always an awesome first step. Like... Exactly, acknowledging, you know, whatever, like being honest about what's actually going on. Like that is like such, I mean, not easy, but such an important next step. Um, when you were talking about the debt, um, repayment, one of the things that came up for me, uh, so I had student loan debt when I graduated from college and, um, you know, paid it back really systematically. And it, for me, I know not everyone feels this way. I was so stressed out about having debt. Like it just, like I thought about it every single day. It like really, really, really bothered me. And it got to the point where once I had paid it down to, it was a little over $9,500 I think was left on it. And I like vividly remember I emptied out like basically my emergency fund, like my little savings account, like everything that I had saved was almost like exactly enough for that. I was like, I can't be in debt anymore. I am just going to pay this off. And basically like cleared out all of my savings to no longer have student loan debt. And I remember as I was doing it, I'm like, this is probably not a, you know, quote, financially responsible choice to like level my bank account to no longer be in debt. But the like emotional freedom that I got from doing it, we were talking about trade offs before for me was really worth it. And it made me want to ask you if there has been a thing in your like financial life where you were like this is probably against like the quote best practices
0: but I'm going to choose it anyway because it like it makes sense for me. Oh my gosh, I have so many examples. So, uh one it's really funny how you're talking about that because I was um thinking about my my major emergency fund that I had when I first moved to the US a couple years ago. I don't it's not that big now, but having 18 months worth of expenses in cash for many people it's like a no-no because They're like, well, you just let the cash sit there. It could be earning however much in interest or this and that. And so I was talking with a friend who's a uh, pretty savvy real estate investor. And we were just chatting about different things and I mentioned this and he he just started laughing that I had this big emergency fund he's like man he's like if it were me he's like good for you for having that but if it were me I would be so stressed out that had all this money in this bank account I would take it and I would invest in a piece of property that I know would give me cash flow every month he's like that's what I would do and i just laughed because i said oh man if i did that i would be so stressed out i would want to pay off the entire mortgage like within months and we just we just kind of laughed at how we both reacted to the same amount of money in a different way because um yeah i could have stuck that in a you know in a retirement savings account and it could have been earning me a lot of money but i would have been so stressed out it wouldn't have made me feel safe quitting but for him it's like what made him feel safe was knowing that that was invested somewhere
1: yeah i'm like really laughing to myself sarah because i relate to this so much i like one of the things that makes me feel safe is having um and uh, similar to you like having an emergency fund that right now it is like 12 months of expenses like pretty minimal expenses like a real hey if like all the shit hits the fan right like i could scrape by on this amount of money for a year, right? And having that, and yeah, it's just like sitting in an account makes me feel like the fact that I have really easy access to that money makes me feel really safe as opposed to I have thought many times like, I should invest this. I should move this into one of my Vanguard accounts or like I should, should, should. And every time I'm like, nope, like that, for whatever reason, that makes me not feel safe. And so like the trade-off emotionally of having like being able to know that I could like get that money in a couple of days if I needed it makes me feel like not that the same isn't true. I could like sell off things in like an investment account, but there's just <laughs> I, like relate to you so much.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I know security is like one of my major values and I remember when we did take some of that emergency savings on, like when I, when I did start earning um, more money and when we knew my husband's paycheck could have covered our expenses no matter, like, you know, assuming he still had that job, we we're like, okay, now we can move more of it into an investment account. Like it took so much emotional energy for me to like even put like let's say a thousand dollars because i was like no this is like represents my like feeling safe from you know total destructive ruin of my freelance writing career so like i can laugh about it now but at the time like i remember I remember, like, I think I almost cried, like, opening that brokerage account because I was like, oh, this is, like, the end of me, yeah. <laughs> which is not. No, but, but it's so real. And I, I really
1: appreciate your example about your friend, like, illustrating the exact same amount of money, right? Like, what makes you feel safe would make him feel unsafe, right? Or maybe not unsafe, but, like, would make like someone else unhappy. And I feel like that is a really important reminder for everything that we're talking about because there can be best practices. There can be, you know, financial education or, you know, working with some kind of advisor or a financial planner or something. And like like arming yourself with information is great. And for me, I have found it to be really empowering. And also there's no one, like one fit plan for everyone.
0: Yeah, no, there isn't. And I think that anyone that tries to sell you something like that is, um full of shit let's just be honest (laughs) so yeah um the this is kind of a pivot but the the one of the last
1: things that i wanted to ask you since becoming a parent have there been any like financial surprises or i guess meaning like myths around things of like i thought that being a parent would mean xyz for my financial life or i thought this would happen and it turns out that it did or didn't or something in there i'm I'm interested in sort of expectation versus reality for you
0: sure so the conversation in general with how expensive kids are is um always just on my mind so i knew that when when i was pregnant we were kind of like planning on um expenses like we, we had a lot of we I talked to a lot of parents because again I'm like I I don't know any of this stuff I'm not I've never been around children or young children um and so like I remember ha- like getting varying advice in terms of like what are some things you need to buy or like the brands of things and how expensive things were or like the type of nanny I need to hire and I felt very overwhelmed because I just thought, oh my gosh, this is like the the end of like my days of traveling. Like, <laughs> I don't know why this keeps coming up, but it's like, oh, I can no, no mat like no longer do this, this, and this because I have to like spend tens of thousands of dollars on this child, and and I don't want to say that like uh, where I am bitter about it. That's not that's not it, but it was one of those where I was like, oh man, like, um, how am I going to like kind of reconcile emotionally with this? And so, um, what has both. I think what has really surprised me is that it can things are expensive as you want or need them to be, if that makes sense. And so, like, yeah, there are certain expenses that I probably spent more um, in China, for example. Like, I opted to go for a doctor that spoke English. Um, I could have hired a translator to, to take me to another hospital, but it was one of those, I'm like, no, I want to know that I can communicate with my doctor directly. And so I paid a premium for that, Mm -hmm. um, things that I saved money on. I used, um, cloth diapers or now that we're in the U S um, my son isn't in full time daycare. So he's in preschool like half days. And so we're saving money on that. So it's really one of those, again, it's like, what trade-offs do I want to make, the question of like do we want to pay like do we want to set aside money for college i mean like he's four that's i know like a decade issue ways but you know it's something that we're thinking about now um so it's all these questions and so there's a lot of parents who again very well intentioned they want to like tell you what they think is best because this is what they've done and so it's really navigating like okay I'm thankful that you're telling me this and this is what it might cost, but I'm going to try to figure out my version of it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that that's just like a good reminder in general of like not taking on other people's stuff, right? Like or their Mm -hmm. fears or their worries. Like I remember um, when... Uh, my friend and former spouse and I bought a home and it was, you know, both of our first experiences, you know, buying a house and homeownership and that kind of stuff. And it was interesting how many people wanted to tell us their horror stories related to that, right? Like, you know, here's what went wrong with this and here's why this was so expensive and here's the, and to the point where it was like, really became like quite fearful and we had to stop ourselves and be like, you know what, what if we just allowed this to be easy? And what if we went our own way? And not to say that it you know, was completely flawless, but being able to put some distance between, like you said, other people's well-intentioned, whatever it is that they want to tell you, whether it's like advice or sharing their own mistakes and stories. And we can learn so much from listening to each other. And also there has to come a point where you're like, I'm going to make my own decisions.
0: Yeah. And I've always, I've always been, um, pretty good at that. Again, I'm like, I'm a rebel where I'm like, okay, this is not relevant to me. I'm just going to like toss to the side. I know for a lot of people it might not be the case. Um, but at the end of the day, like you're, you're living your life, it's your money. So do with it, what you want and what you think is going to be best for you, not what you think other people are going to think about it. Mm-hmm. And I, again, way easier than it sounds, <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know, that's, I think that's really just do what's in your best interest. Yeah.
1: Do you find that you talk about money with your like friends, like in your social circles a lot?
0: Yes, so um, even some of my friends who aren't who aren't really interested in money in general start talking about it because they see how it has helped me in my own life. Um, And so I, and when people do ask me about stuff, I don't I don't like giving advice because there is not like a one size fits all kind of thing. And like I said before, like people who do that are um, maybe you should be wary about them. And so what I do is like um, if people are interested. I can give them resources or I'll ask them questions and then it helps kind of turn the wheels and their, their gears and their, their brains to, to think about more of that. But yeah, I get a lot of, I get a lot of questions about retirement. I'm not sure why, maybe because I talk about it a lot. (laughs) Um, I am not an expert by any means, but um, I do get a lot of questions about that for some Mm -hmm. reason. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I mean, well, once you become like more open about something, then people see you as a safe place to go to be like, oh, Hey, maybe you're the only one I feel like I can talk to about this.
0: Yeah, and I I feel like um, I don't want people to judge me, um, and and we're all very complex humans, and so I feel like um, when people come to me, they know that I'm not going to judge them, because... Like, I don't care why you got in debt. Like, the important thing is, you know, you're getting out of it. Or I don't care that you haven't invested up until now. It, the important thing is you are you want to do it now. And so that's kind of where, where, I'm, where I kind of go to, where if someone's going to come and ask me something, I just go, okay, like, you're clearly here because you want to better your situation. And that's awesome. Let's figure that out.
1: Mm-hmm. Looking ahead for you over the next year um, with your work on your podcast, you know, with finance writing and kind of all the different things that you do, what are some topics that you feel really curious about exploring?
0: So I I recently wrote an article about leaving a legacy, but um, in a non-financial way. So I think when people talk about legacy, they talk a lot about like estate planning, like wills and power of attorneys. And so this article was about how can you leave a legacy, even though you don't necessarily have a lot of money? And like, what what kind of lasting impact that you might have? And so um, ever since I wrote that, that has just been something that's been sitting in the back of my head where I'm like, I would love to explore this. I don't know. I'm not really quite sure where I want to go with it. But it would really interesting to think about something that has maybe traditionally been a more financial heavy topic and figure out some way to make it like, non-financial if that makes sense Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah that's interesting anything else that comes up for
1: you as something that you're interested in like talking to other people about or having conversations about in the next i don't know like 12
0: months or whatever i want to explore more about the concept of like female breadwinners i think there's been a lot of conversations around it but it's kind of negative Um, it's like a lot of articles about like how men feel emasculated or they feel like bad that their wives are earning more or their partners are earning more and, or women that um, have to navigate like societal expectations of what it means to be a female breadwinner. Like I would love to see more positive stories just because like how it's played out in my life has been positive. So I know that there's gotta be more than me out there that, that kind of feels that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would love
1: to hear more about that. I mean, in general, I'm just like so interested in hearing what's true for different people from all angles. And so, yeah, that would be an awesome thing to explore. I'm also really interested in the legacy thing. I will be paying attention to see what comes from that exploration for you. So we have bounced around a ton, right? Like covered a ton of great topics. I'm so grateful for all the things that you were willing to be open and honest about. Is there any last thing that maybe we didn't get to
0: that you really wanted to mention? Um I do want to say that if you f- like if anybody feels overwhelmed with um anything there's lots of nonprofits and professional help out there and they're always working on your what they want to work on your best interest. And so something I've learned um i haven't explored a whole time but like if you're overwhelmed with like medical bills there are things called like patient advocates so these are people who actually would advocate on your behalf like help you negotiate bills and i don't think you have to pay but like but the, all this is to say there are sources and there are people to help you so um it, it can feel really scary to ask for help, but I think that it can be really worth it in the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Um, so the
1: last thing that I wanted to ask you is if you have any favorite resources related to all of the many things that we have been talking about that you want to put on people's radar.
0: Oh my gosh, um, so many. <laughs> so I think if um, if anybody wants to learn, learn the basics, like um, maybe understanding a mortgage loan document um kind of things like that the um oh consumer financial protection bureau i think it's cfpb.org or you can just google it um and what what's really great about them is if um they will have different topics and they would actually have like example kind of documents and they will break down each part of it and so like for example if you are buying a home and you're like totally not sure how this mortgage stuff works it will break down like a closing document so that's when you are ready to basically take out a mortgage and it'll kind of break down like what's interest rate like how much you pay and all those things so that's a really great one just for um basics in terms of more emotional stuff like one of my favorite books is called the soul of money by lynn twist and so she is a philanthropist and she um and so what she writes about money in terms of like a more holistic view. And um, I think she comes from the lens of someone who has seen really affluent people and they're still miserable. And the people who like you would kind of view from the outside of having nothing and being really happy. And so she kind of explores that whole like relationship of money, like how does it work in in our lives and how we can be more um, kind of in tune with our relationship with money. So those are the two that I would, definitely recommend. Mm -hmm. Similarly, when it comes
1: to either like podcasts, blogs, social media, do you have any top of mind favorites?
0: Um, I really like a podcast called Stacking Benjamins. And so the reason I really like it, so their, um, their philosophy is Um, they base their content around the science of play so that like you're having so much fun and you're laughing that you're not, you don't even realize you're learning about money. So I really like that. So they have like, um, I think they do episodes three times a week. Um, They base a lot of their content around like headlines, current headlines. They do like trivia. They'll bring um, financial experts on really bite-sized topics. So one segment is no more than um, 10 minutes long. And so it's like a really great episode, uh, episode, sorry, podcast just to get just to kind of get you more comfortable with talking about money topics. So that's a really great one. Um, gosh, another uh, another one is called Choose FI. So Choose Financial Independence. And I've listened to a couple episodes. I really like it. A lot of people I know really love it is because they kind of talk a lot about like all sorts of topics or they'll bring on people who have um, done really well with their money. So like success stories. And so you can be really motivated by them. So that's another really great one that, um, I think that runs, I think also twice a week as well. So really great. And when it comes to
1: your own podcast, is there a particular episode? I don't want to say like, it was your favorite episode, but one that you felt like really like shifted or changed something for you that like wound up being quite impactful afterwards that, um, I can put in the show notes for people who maybe haven't listened to your show before.
0: Yeah. So it was actually the last episode of the the current season. So it was a really funny story, not funny, haha, but an interesting story about how that came out. So I went to a podcasting conference and so I was actually on stage being critiqued for an episode. And so that episode happened to be about a gentleman who was grieving his wife and estate planning. So as I was leaving this, um, this, person just started coming up and telling me his entire life story like uh, he never even said hello he just kind of came up and like started telling me all this stuff and of course I was very taken aback (laughs) I was like oh okay um but then he was like I really related to this to this episode I just listened for four minutes because um I am the opposite of what your guest did I just did everything wrong and you know I'm 69 I'm living on like twenty three thousand dollars, and I have all these regrets and and I was like okay, I'm going to stop you because I actually had to, I had to return my rental car. And I was like, here's my business card. Let's, I'm like, I really want to continue this conversation. Like email me, we'll talk. And so we emailed each other back and forth for like a month. And it was just what I found so impactful was like, he was just so open and like willing to share his story, not because he wanted to promote himself, but because he wanted to, um, in his words, like Help the younger generation know what it's like to live in financial regret, so he's like i'm sixty nine like I'm living essentially at what is considered like the u s uh, poverty level line, and i'm st- I still have hope and so I was like, "Do you want to come on and talk about it because you're you're sharing so much with me. Are you willing to share it on uh, in public actually on a podcast and he said, yes, and so um I released that um in december, early december two thousand and nineteen and I mean, like, I've gotten so many comments. Um, I ended up connecting him with the guest that was on, um, that did the estate planning, right? In, in his words, and their friends now. It's like, it was just like this beautiful story that unfolded, like, almost out of thin air because of um, a a very happenstance meeting. So Mm -hmm. I think that's one that I'll remember for a very long time. Yeah. I
1: love that. I'm going to put that link in for sure. I haven't listened to that one yet, but I'm excited too. um, last thing, if you could leave our community, the listeners with one call to action, what would it be? Maybe a question to ask themselves or a small action to take?
0: Ooh, I think one question is, um, I would say like, what define your enough number. I challenge you to go and like, um, look through your bank statements, all that, and figure out like, what is your enough number? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that.
1: Um, and you know, for me, like my like little piggyback on that for myself would be like, and find a way to like make it fun. Right. Or like (laughs) I'm trying, I'm trying to like, I mean, I'm someone who really enjoys money budgeting, like touching the money, thinking about it. Right. Like that's, it's not a drag for me at all. And I'm like one of my challenges for myself for the first quarter of this year is to have like fun money dates with myself meaning like if i'm Mm going to be doing this kind of budgeting stuff anyway like not treating it as much like a chore and trying like you were talking about earlier to kind of like change the perspective or mindset around it and like have a little bit more like joy and levity in the process
0: yeah just on on that um so this is like kind of for some people think it's really weird that my husband and i do this um is that what before we have kind of a, a more major conversation about money we start off in like five-minute increments and so like the whole conversation about buying a house actually started off like very i want to i guess kind of randomly because i remember like when i was thinking about like oh do i want to keep renting do I want to keep buying we were watching tv and i was like i wonder how much it costs to buy versus rent and my husband's like oh let me pull up a calculator and that was like it and then like the next day it was like oh well what neighborhood would you want to live in and so it kind of like snowballed into these like five-minute conversations so it felt less daunting mm-hmm. by the time we actually sat down and like really looked at the numbers. And so if anyone out there is really like intimidated or scared to have a conversation with their partner or a friend, start with like a really tiny conversation. And then as you feel more comfortable, then, then you can open up a little bit more.
1: Yeah. I like the theme of baby steps that's come up throughout this conversation for sure. Um, what is the best place for people
0: to find you and say, hi, do you have a favorite way to connect with new folks? Yeah, I love Instagram. So my username on Instagram is beyondthedollar. And then you can also find me on beyondthedollar.co. I love getting emails. So it's um, hello at beyondthedollar.co. Awesome. I love it. Sarah, thank you so much. Thank you again for having me.
1: And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for being part of the Real Talk Radio family. Speaking of the Real Talk Radio family, I want to give a huge shout out to Adam Day, my producer and sound engineer. Adam not only created the music for this show, he makes everything work and flow and sound way better than I ever could. You can find him and his music and his awesome sound editing work at adamday.net. And as I said way back at the top of the episode, this is a 100% listener-supported show. The show is made possible by awesome people like Lindsay. Hi, Lindsay. Hey, Nicole. So in the spirit of this being Money Month here at Real Talk Radio, we are going to do an honest round of money-related rapid-fire questions if you're feeling brave and ready. I am ready. All right. We're just going to dive right in. Tell me how much debt you have.
2: Ooh. um, I think none, actually. Um, So I do have a credit card balance right now, but I pay off every month. Mm -hmm um, like in full, I just, I don't know. I I do kind of float myself money. Um, but I actually don't have any like consumer debt or education debt. I was fortunate enough to have my student loans paid for by my, my parents. Mm.
1: That was going to be a question I was going to ask is where have you had like financial support in your life, right? From family or a Mm -hmm. spouse or inheritance, something like that. So do you want to say a little more about that? Yeah, definitely.
2: So my um, dad, it's kind of wild, actually, like how poor my parents were growing up and then how much money my dad was able to make in his lifetime um, to be able to support me in going to college. I'm only the second person in my family to actually have done so. Um, And so his kind of deal to all of his kids was that he would pay for us to Um, attend a state university, like in-state four years of undergrad. But I did take the loans out in my name and then he helped pay them, I think, to, I don't know, he said that the interest rate was lower in my name. It also kind of had him maybe hold things over me a little bit. Um, That was definitely kind of a challenge to feel indebted to him for some time, even into my adulthood. But Mm -hmm. um, that was definitely helpful. And then I purchased a car, the car I'm driving right now is over ten years old, um, and I did purchase that myself. But he co-signed; I didn't have enough credit at the time, but I made all the
1: payments myself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And talk about what your current income source is.
2: Uh, so I have one income source. I'm a salaried employer or employee, excuse me, as an insurance broker. And I mean, I can like get into numbers if yeah, you want. Hell yeah. or- Or not? Okay. So I'm currently making about $90,000 a year. It was kind of a wild choice last year. I chose a new role and I went from... Basically, I had gotten promoted in my last role and then took this role all within a very short period of time. So I went from making $80,000 to $100,000 in my past role and then made a choice to kind of jump into a different niche um, and then took a pay cut back to 90. So I'm still making more than I was this time last year, but Less than I could have been making, but yeah, it, it feels good. I like what I'm doing, and it affords me, you know, like I've got 401k match and pension and stuff like that. So it just it feels it feels more secure, I think, to have this type of of job for myself. Mm-hmm.
1: Is that what you saw yourself doing? Something that felt like you just said it feels more secure for you? Was that the path that you had wanted to be on?
2: No, it's the path I've been on, but I I really fought it throughout my 20s. Um, I think I wish that I. Could like live in a van and figure out a way to be more nomadic. Um, although your experience, I guess, makes it sound like maybe less glamorous than I had been led to believe previously. Um, and I, I, really did struggle with the kind of structure of having this like nine to five, salaried career, you know, ladder, corporate ladder path. But I also struggled to really pull away from it as well. And so when this job opportunity came up last year, it it fit so many more of the kind of categories of what I was looking for that I just felt like maybe if I could make my life at home more of what I wanted it to be, it would make those trips, even though they were shorter, more special. Um, And so that's definitely paid off. And I'm really glad to be where I am right now, but it it took a long time to get here. Mm
1: -hmm. What does budgeting look like for you? Is that something that you do? Like, if so, to what degree? Tell me some of the specifics about that.
2: No, it's a nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I tried to sign up for you need a budget after hearing you and some other people recommend it and realized, so I tried to do that. I think just this past month, I just have this like amorphous amount of money and things always kind of tend to get paid. Um, but like I said, I use my credit card to kind of float myself money each month. So I thought you need a budget would be helpful. And then when I basically, you're supposed to give like all of your money jobs. And I realized that I couldn't set a budget because, I was basically planning to overspend um, for Christmas. And so that was really a helpful lesson just to realize, like, I wasn't consciously planning on doing that, but it's just what I do. And so in January, I'm going to try to really do it again and buckle down and do kind of a spending fast just to figure out how to actually budget because um, right now I'm just being so unconscious with with my spending.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... I'm like pretty obsessed with budgeting personally. I had someone recently that we bonded a little bit over realizing that like our stress relief is updating our budget. (laughs) Like that's like a very specific kind of thing to be like, I do that too. I'm feeling stressed. Let me enter numbers in these little boxes. Um and yeah, I mean you mentioned the you need budget software. I was just gonna say I should get affiliate money for that. I talk about them all the time. And then I realize they actually do have an affiliate program. So (laughs) maybe I should put that link somewhere. But it's certainly not the only option and it doesn't, you know, work for everyone. I will say that system in particular. a while to get used to, and they have like a bunch of resources and stuff on their blog that, like, it took me a while to kind of wrap my brain around that system. So,
2: yeah, I'm ready. I, I think you know, for a long time, I just had a lot of shame and stress around money, mm-hmm. and I just I finally feel like I'm ready to really take a look at it. And if it takes me a couple of months to actually create and use and stick to a budget, like that's better than never trying. Yeah, (laughs) totally.
1: I mean, I feel like this kind of stuff is always a work in progress for everyone, right? We're like working on different Mm -hmm. aspects of it. Um, So two more questions um, in our little rapid fire section. Uh, Do you know approximately how much money you have in savings and where you keep that money?
2: Yes. Um, So my retirement is something that I've been consistent about. Um, And I've kind of just tried to increase what percentage of my income I contribute each year. So I have about, I think, 17% of my uh, income goes to, like half goes to a 401k and half goes to a Roth Mm -hmm. 401k. Um, And then another 2% I contribute to a pension. And then my company actually um, gives like 7.5% in addition to that. So I, I have approximately like, just over one times my current salary saved for retirement. Mm-hmm.
1: That's a nice match from your company. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah. it's it's um, it's really nice. Yeah, there are. I mean, there are pros and cons to everything, right? But there are definitely cons to like the kind of work setup that I had. Like I've never had that, right? I've never worked for a company that gives that kind of, you know, matching or option or anything like that. And it's always when you were talking about sort of the glamorization of van life, right? Like again, there's pros and cons to everything. And it's always like nice to have more real talk about like, Hey, you get this, but you're giving up this.
2: Exactly. Right. Like I have so many days of PTO a year and I will probably never do a long distance hike, but they're giving me more money for, for savings for retirement. So there's definitely pros and cons.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to money, what's one thing either that you'd love to learn more about yourself or that you'd love to hear people talk more openly about?
2: myself is just how to budget <laughs> like how to look at my money as being this resource with which i can be more intentional and just feel good about what i'm doing with it mm-hmm. and then i think kind of the same thing from other people like how how do people make budgeting feel good for them how do people go about saving for retirement or you know vacation versus just kind of prioritizing i guess really what people do with their money and and how they go about making systems to that work for them Mm
1: -hmm. yeah i love that question so you are a member of our patreon support squad speaking of money which means that you're one of the people that listeners can thank for making this podcast possible since you have made a small and powerful reoccurring per episode pledge that helps to fund the costs of producing the show and i would love for you to share why you decided to support the show
2: yeah, definitely. It's kind of a, a two-part answer. Um, I by the time I found your podcast, and I don't know how I did, but I'm very glad I did, you were already on the listener-funded portion or, or strategy, I guess, was that I had I had come to kind of devalue creative content. You know, like I don't pay for my own Netflix, I borrow a family account, um, I rent books from the library, I, you know, used to download music illegally when that became popular. And so you being really open and honest about the fact that this is work and it is your livelihood um, really helped me to realize that there's value in A, being honest about that and B, contributing with my capital to content that I want to exist in the world. Um, So that was kind of the first part. And then the second thing that I've come to appreciate from being a contributor is the realization that I think this model helps you probably um, create the type of content that you feel more authentic in creating. Like, Mm -hmm. you don't have to spend energy finding and keeping and making advertisers happy. You get to really focus on creating the kind of community that you really want to. And then getting to consume that kind of content just feels even better because it means, hopefully that the person and team that's creating it feels really good about what they're creating. So it just if it, it honestly feels nice every month to see the little Patreon receipt because it feels like I've been a small, just like tiny part of helping to create this community and this experience that I so value and I think other people do too.
1: Yeah, that's, that's incredibly well said. I really appreciate that. It's, it's exactly how I feel about like the folks that I support on Patreon and similar platforms, right? Like I get that little receipt. I'm like, yes, I love that person's work. And like, I was a small part of making that possible. And it just, it like has a different feeling to it than like, there's obviously nothing wrong with doing advertising. I understand why that's, you know, a choice that people make, but you know, as I skip through ads on other podcasts and stuff, it just like has a different feeling that the content that I like pay into. So I totally get that. Yeah. Thanks for creating it. Um, Do you want to share where you live and maybe a social media link if people want to say hi? I actually don't, but I... Do frequent the uh, like Google Hangouts in your community, so you can kind of find me there. Yes. I'm Lindsay. I'm in Chicago. Love it. Perfect answer. Um, thank you so much. And to everyone listening, if you love the podcast, if you want to help keep it going, if you want lots of bonus content, plus other fun opportunities and extras, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $1 or more per episode. Your support is what allows the show to continue. And it'll be a lot of fun to get to know you better after you've joined our community. So until next time, here's a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can. And no matter what, we're in this together.